0: to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi everybody. This is New Books in Psychology and I'm your host, Eugenio Duarte in Miami. Today, we're speaking with Me Too, Zanyal about her new book, Rape, From Lucretia to Me Too. Published in 2019 by Verso. Uh, Me Too is an award winning broadcaster, academic, and author, and author of the prior book, Volva, which was translated into five languages. Me Too, welcome to the show.
0: <laughs>
2: Hi. It's so funny hearing you say that because it really sounds like, like the hashtag of my name morph in,
1: <laughs> into one. <laughs> Well let's let's that, that wasn't one of my questions but let's start with that what it, it, does it mean anything to you that the pronunciation of your first name is uh, the same or very similar to the pronunciation of the me too movement
2: Absolutely I mean is I've never encountered my name in the public sphere because it's an Indian name it comes from Bengal from West Bengal so there it's quite common but here nobody has my name so it's kind of Meeting my own name in the public sphere was amazing. And then, because it was related to the topic I'm working on extensively, it was a bit like, I've invented this. This <laughs> is my personal conspiracy theory. <laughs> it was me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but does it amplify your calling? Does it, does it give your mission a special charge?
2: Oh, well, I wouldn't say it's a mission so um, <laughs> I'm an academic, I'm a journalist, I'm an author, so I wouldn't go that far. but it's nice because um, editors usually start thinking of me, they read hashtag me too and they think, oh, we could talk to me too about that
1: mm-hmm. So so let's start with a book. You say in the opening of the book that this this one was much harder to get published than your last book, Volva. Why was that?
2: Well, because they're also f- afraid to touch the topic of rape. And um, now that seems nearly ludicrous because everybody wants to read about that. But that was before the Me Too movement. That was before everybody wanted to talk about nothing else. So at that time, um, I was interested in quite a lot of areas. But the two main areas of interest were um, what do we do to victims? How do we treat victims? Is the way we treat victims maybe detrimental to healing um, and also um, the question of gender. So why do we gender victims of rape? Why do we gender perpetrators? So why, Im- immediately, if we think about rape, we think about male perpetrators and female victims. Even though in Germany now, we've got three genders, but we never talk about the third gender. I'm here. Well, well, let's now.
1: Let's talk about it. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry, go ahead. Please finish. <laughs>
2: um, okay. Yeah, let's talk about the third gender. Absolutely, because um, we do know that um trans people that people um, whose gender is not in, not um, immediately clear have a much higher risk of becoming victims of sexual abuse, sexual assault, of rape than anybody else in society. So why do we only speak about cis women? So that, that interested me a lot and I, I felt really bad about this and and then it, it all fed into my research and it all made sense if you look at it historically, why do we speak about rape the way we speak about it?
1: Well, and and what did you discover? So, so let me just make sure that I'm understanding what you're saying before we delve into it further. You're saying that we his, historically, and even in the present day, we tend to think about rape as strictly a thing that a man, a cis man, does to a cis woman.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And you're
1: saying that's that's a that's maybe not a myth, but it's an incomplete characterization of what rape is. Is that what you're saying?
2: Absolutely. I mean, it is um, by law. It used to be the case in Germany up until 1999 that you had to be a man because you had to have a penis. And At that time, that was the definition of a man legally. You had to have a penis to penetrate a woman you were not married to vaginally. That was the definition of rape. And um, we changed that definition so um, you could... Um, so so extramarital rape became rape as well it wasn't just that's what you were allowed to do in a marriage um, we changed it so that similar forms of sexual um, assault became rape as well we changed it so that victim and perpetrators were defined in gender neutral forms and that was that was new because everybody thought yeah but it is only men who rape and it's only women who get raped so up until then, it wasn't even thinkable that victims could be male or that perpetrators could be female. It didn't exist. And I think, and I'm not sure about this, Um, I think you changed the law in 2012 or something like that. It's not that long ago. I know England changed it in 2004 and so on and so forth. In Switzerland, you still need to have a penis to be a perpetrator of rape, else it's not rape. By law, by law, by the way. um. And I'm a feminist, so so my feminist um, kind of awakening, it started with all the things that were related to gender that we know, we, or we, we think we know about gender. We deconstructed that. So women always have to buy shoes. No, really, that's n- nothing biological. Um, um, all these ideas about um, women can't parallel park, even the myth about the female, the male brain. When I was writing my book, The University of Tel Aviv, they discovered that it seems to be the case that we all have a human brains. Surprise, surprise. So I thought it would be really surprising if the real, if the the true gender difference would lie in the fact that one gender has a propensity to rape and the other hasn't. And I didn't want to believe that. Because that would be awful, because what could we do then? We could take all men and put them on a, I don't know, um, on an island <laughs> <and> <laughs> in detention and, and maybe meet once a year. Um, so that couldn't be the way forward. So, so I looked at that, and then I found out that, uh, that rape had been defined by law as something It only men did to women. Why was that? And that had a whole history. So we had this idea of honor, that um, a woman had an honor that was part of her body, um, it, it lay in her virginity membrane, which doesn't exist. Um, it's not. It's not. It's bi- biologically. It's it's bullshit. But we still believe in it. So, um, or in her status as an honorable wife or widow. Um, men also had an honor, but that was um, negotiated in, in in the job or on the battlefield. So both could lose the honor um, by default, or but they they could lose it um, uh, when it was taken from them them, and was stolen from them but only a woman could lose her honor by being raped in this in this um kind of in this kind of, uh, of of narrative and so um if a woman was raped then you looked at it and tried to find out if she really had an honor in the first place or if she'd just been a slut and then um you can't take anything away from her and that's the reason why when we go to jail when we go to court for example um or when we go to the police the first question is oh and have you had sex before and and um you probably remember the case in ireland in 2019 last year um when um the the judge ruled against rape because the victim was wearing a thong so hello this has got nothing to do but this goes back to that thinking that oh then she can't have had an honor in the first place so a lot of what we're what we're fighting against now, what seems to us incredibly sexist, and it is, um, has got its, its roots into these older ways of thinking about things and the way society was structured. And if you don't know that, it's incredibly hard to find a, fight against it.
1: And and your book tackles this topic, this uh, c- concerning the gender gender stereotypes surrounding rape, how gender stereotypes frame the way that we think about rape. But I, I wanted to ask you because if we if we expand our thinking about rape so as not to be limited to one that defines rape as again be to something that a, a man, a cisgender man, does to a cisgender woman and and start thinking that rape can happen under all sorts of different configurations. I wonder if we risk losing sight of an important ingredient, which is that cisgender men do do really have a certain powers, sociopolitical power that people with different genders don't have. Um, oh absolutely
2: power is very integral to the way um i look at the whole thing and and we have to look at power structures absolutely but um a not all cisgender men have the same kind of power and not all um cisgender mm -hmm. women for example i mean i'm living in germany we've got (laughs) angela merkel and i wouldn't say that she hasn't got any power um what i want to say is we are um we are looking back at 50 years of women's movement we are looking back at um quite a lot of social changes. And and that is important as well. But also one of the things, power plays a very important role, but it doesn't seem to be so much the individual power of a perpetrator. Um, It seems to be more that if you look at a system where there's a lot of um, hierarchical power exercise, so, for example, in prison, there are loads more rapes in prison than the rest of society. In the military, there are even more rapes in the military. Um, If the military goes to war, there's a lot of research on the military and rape, by the way, so if the military goes to war, um, those numbers climb up exponentially, Um, and not just because people rape the enemy, but they rape their own comrades. So, um, so it seems a lot. Um, a lot of the research into and this is um, interesting, because there hasn't that much research been done, and we don't. Uh, we we have all these moralistic ideas, which are right. I mean, we have to have an ethical. St- Standpoint, but it's also necessary to have the research so we know what can we do to prevent rape. What can we do to change society? And we don't know enough because we always think, oh, um, it's clear, rape is clear, and there's so many different kinds of rapists anyway. So um, we're, we're looking at a big spectrum here, um, and. Yes, power does play a role, but the more hierarchical a system is, the more rapes occur. It is very difficult to compare it because um, no—if if you go out on the street and ask three people about their definition of rape, you will get three different definitions, which is a problem. If just your country and mine—we've got different definitions by law of rape. Um, in my lifetime, the the, the law, the, the rape laws have been changed three times. So every Around 20 years, we have the the feeling, the impetus to change this because we have a different view on it, which is right. You have to change it because it, um, the changes make the law better. But it also means um, it's a very, diff- uh, it's a, an area where loads of different viewpoints combat and, and it's not easy to talk about it and compare it. But we do know that societies, the more equal a society is, the less. Um, uh, borders are transgressed, and also sexual borders. So that's important if you want to talk about prevention. And that is also something we, we've um, signed the Istanbul. We've ratified the Istanbul Convention, Germany, and and I think America too. So um we we should, and and that tells us we have to put money resources into prevention. I have no idea how to do that. wait but can
1: I? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think what it- the research you're pointing out is really fascinating and I want to make sure I understand it and and see if I can, uh, maybe you can help us help explain it. So you're saying that in settings or in organizations or in places where people are organized more hierarchically, like in the military, like in prison, that the rates of rape go up compared relative to to places where people are organized in a more egalitarian way, I suppose. What that's fascinating. Absolutely. Why? Absolutely. Why is that?
2: Well, first of all, I, I don't think every every hierarchy is bad. I think it's also hierarchies that you give up the right to your own body. So in prison, you can't decide when you sleep, how long you sleep, where you are. You give up the right to your own body. So it is not that surprising that other bodily borders are transgressed here. It's a system that that kind of breeds transgressions. The same in the military. Um, And people tell you where you sleep, when you sleep, how long you sleep, where you stay. Um, And that is, um, and especially uh, the the prison, the whole prison complex is is a very different subject. But especially in the military, we also, we even know that states who have a bigger military complex have more rapes even in in the civil society and that is very interesting so if we really meant it about prevention the first thing we should say oh let's get rid of the armies <laughs> which nobody is willing to do obviously so and um, but that that is an interesting point we should think about that the other thing is obviously um in in war uh if you if you have to if you're a refugee if you have to, have to flee from your home if you're Um, If you're um, trying to get into a different country, the the risk of you being a victim, becoming a victim of rape, rises incredibly. And we're we're very unempathetic towards that. Um, We're also talking about the migrant crisis, the immigrant crisis and and all this. And we're talking about immigrants coming here, raping our women, which does happen. But um, the, the probability that you're raped when you're an immigrant are a lot higher and we don't talk about that so it's very interesting there's a kind of empathy economy we have which people do we have a lot of empathy for and which people we haven't
0: slash NBN50 to
1: get 50% off. So I, I want to hone in on, on on this point. I got to tell you, I'm having, I don't know if it's a, an aha moment, but definitely making, I think, an important connection here because you're saying that a- anywhere that we see that some people's bodies, uh, p- where people have less autonomy over their bodies, there it correlates with higher rates of rape. And so it, it makes you know, we think about the fact that in Western society we have a gender hierarchy, and and women are mobilizing and organizing uh, in response to the fact that they don't feel they have control over their bodies to the extent that you know Roe v. Wade is is, uh, is under threat still after all this time. And so, would you say that we can't we can't really do anything about rape, or we can't? fully address the problem of rape until we address the larger paradigm that that dictates that one gender has more power over the other?
2: Um. Yes and no, because that sounds like, oh, let's wait until after the revolution <laughs> and we don't have to do anything now, which I don't mean. I think it's both connected. So if we change um, anything about, not just gender hierarchy, by the way, um, but if you make society more equal this is a direct intervention a direct intervention into 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 rape into into sexual um, transgression so that is a good the good news the other thing is that of course we can do a lot we can do a lot on the personal level but we also got to look at it structurally and um, especially um, we as, as civilians, we can only look at our personal level. So there's a lot we can do. Like um, it's called um, I don't know what's called in, in America. We call it Vendor. It's kind of um, self-defense um, for women, but it's a grassroots thing that doesn't just address um, how you defend yourself physically, but also um, whether you think you've got a right to your own borders. Um, it also um, is a lot about learning to say no and feeling okay with it. And um, also learning to say yes, by the way, learning to say what you want and what you need, which is also very, very important. Um, so um, there's been research into that, um, the Europa-Rat, the, the, um, they, they, they said um, this is actually one of the, on a, on a personal level, I don't mean, oh, teach women not to get raped. I do mean that um, by learning this kind of self-defense, by learning... Um, he, it's more like a kind of empowerment and um, we've also got to talk about that in society. We learn from, from the very beginning, we learn, I don't make a fuss, don't be so difficult, be friendly. So we learn that all our borders are not important, we're just being difficult, we're just making it hard for society to get on and and come on and and, and kiss auntie Mary and, and goodbye and all this. So we, we, we learn all this and suddenly when it comes to sexuality, we're supposed to mm-hmm. communicate clearly, and that is yeah. not fair. I mean, most of the time, and and at the moment, it sounds like all sexual encounter is is fraught with difficulties. Most of the time, it's fine. Most of the time, we have very consensual sexuality. But if 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 it doesn't, if it breaks down, if communication breaks down, you have no way of of starting communication again. Um, and I'm not even talking about rape. I'm just talking about this. Um, this is a message we give young people. We tell young women: if you go on a date, take three to ta- uh, the three day rule. You all know that. Take three days before you call him back. There are heterosexual um, ideas about about relationships. But so, if you have sex with a man, it uh, takes three days before you call him back. Else, he thinks you are too keen on it. So obviously, men only want to have sex with women who don't want it. Hello these are the messages all dating um manuals tell us Oh, the rules you've got this mega bestseller the rules and um and so basically how to find the man for your life and how to keep the man and and all this and they tell us play hard to get um don't make the first step men don't like women who are too active hello this is just um this is crazy so who told you that where is the um the research that <laughs> um that's based on there's there's no that this this is just social conventions we tell men oh try harder else she thinks you're not interested enough she has to say no else um you will think she's a slut so we give them all this information then suddenly suddenly we expect people to communicate clearly and to understand which no is really a no and this is incredibly unfair most people get it anyway so i don't mean that um oh it's all so difficult but i mean that we we are making it incredibly difficult i'm doing a lot of consent workshops and one of the first things is um that people don't think they have a right to their own feelings but you've got to know your own feelings you've got to be able to know your own feelings before you can communicate them and we basically alienate people from their own feelings so either they've they feel bad if they want something because then they're too aggressive no you can want something doesn't mean you've got a right to get it but it it, it is lovely um if you want something you know what you want um and also, um, people have an incredibly bad conscience if they don't want anything. And so, I was taught if you don't want anything, you don't say, "Oh no, thank you." You say, "Oh, I'd really love to," but no, I'm sorry, I'm too, I'm too crazy, I can't. So, so you you give out all these wrong signals, and then. The other person is supposed to read your mind and that is not fair. And this is what society does to us. So we should, if you want to talk about prevention, we should start on the way. How is our sexual education? What are the sexual roles we give young people and, and how are they detrimental to a healthy sexual relationship?
1: Well, well, this is part of why I wanted to have you on the show, New Books in Psychology, because even though your book is not uh, explicitly a psychology book, it sounds like what you're saying, and tell me if I'm hearing it wrong, is that in order to really solve this problem, we need to intervene, not just at the level of of the concrete or the material, such as telling people how to defend themselves, although that's very useful, but we we need to intervene at, at the level of people's psychology, people's awareness of of their desire, awareness of their right to to speak and act upon their desire and to say what they want and don't want. It, it sounds like you're saying what your consent classes do and what self-defense classes do, isn't just teach people what to do, but to teach teach people that their feelings and their wants matter. Am I hearing it right?
2: Um, absolutely, but <laughs> this is very important. I'm not telling people, "Oh, if you can't say clearly enough what you want, then it's your fault when you're getting raped." Absolutely right. not. Absolutely not. But um, if you um, I'm looking at this as a, on a societal level. We as a society, it's our job to enable people um, to have a, a healthy sex life, to have a, a, a fulfilling have fulfilling uh, connections with other people, friendships, relationships, and all this. And this is part of prevention. It's not the whole. It's it, I mean there are loads of other things and the things that are up to the Lord. So this is a whole but um this is what we, we are looking at. So we aren't um we are only say we are, we are only looking at the basically after it has happened then we start talking about oh, how can we punish it which is also important to look at that but um, what I'm looking at more is what can we do as a society to create a climate um, that makes consensual sexual relationships a lot more probable than inconsensual ones and, yeah. and how can we learn about uh, consent because most people they we all want consent but we don't know how to create it, so we all want to to, to want the same thing, uh, which is fine when you do that. But but very often you don't, and that's also important. So how can you talk about that? How can you negotiate there? And we are only taught, for example, to say no when we really when, when we when, when we are back against the wall. We say no as the last resort. We say no and think, drop dead. I don't care. Then we say no before we're incredibly friendly. So oh, maybe hmm, because we are told not to say no, so it would be so mm. much easier if we felt empowered to say no very early on, um, in a in, in an encounter, in a sexual encounter. Because then the right questions would be, oh, what does the no mean? Maybe some sometimes it does mean, oh, it's too cold to have sex. Let's I don't know turn the heater up, uh, or maybe um. I've got to go to bed early, let's have sex tomorrow, whatever. So um, at that point, a no would be an in information. But because we can only say no like a kind of safe word, no, then obviously there's no space for discussion. And that is a problem because consent also means that we give all the necessary information and then we find something that both parties want. And it could just be, oh, I've got to go somewhere else for sex. This is not the right place for me, which is also good.
1: I see. So that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that. That 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 how we construe the word "no" and and what it means to say it is can it can be variable. It doesn't have to always um be so heavy. It can be thought of as as information that doesn't stop intimacy, but that actually in, informs it. Um, you know, if it's all right, I want to turn to a topic that your book. Uh, tackles very, very bravely and um, uh, very intelligently, and it's, it's the topic of race. How have conversations about rape, even among feminists, been inflected by racism?
2: Um, Well, I think it's a lot more in America and um, when I started out writing about it, um, I I was more looking at, oh, this is history and we've moved on from this. And then came New Year's Eve in Cologne or like we say here in Cologne, then came New Year's Eve. And suddenly, um, suddenly the whole discussion, the whole everybody, the media, everything shifted. And we only spoke about, oh, these Muslim men raping White women, so and they're white, white Muslims, and 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 uh, so it's basically it's it, it suddenly we had such a racist narrative. We kind of ethnicized rape, and um, we use this very much in the question about migration, in the question about refugees, and um can refugees come here? Do they pose a threat? And I'm invited a lot by um feminist bookshops, um, feminist circles. And very often these very political, very clever women ask yeah, but but isn't it the case that Muslim men tend to rape more than others? And they don't really know who the others are. um, Because what they mean is, isn't it more that brown and black men tend to rape more? That's the underlying theme in there, but we're not allowed to say that. And um, because they bring all their uh, misogynistic worldview. And and I would say, yeah, but... um, We are not afraid of um, American students coming to Germany because um, you still have um, a president who, who says he can grab anybody's pussy if he likes to because he's so powerful. We are not afraid of that, and that is good because... We, we We view them as individuals, but we look at Muslims as if they they're all the same, and we take the the worst example from the from the weirdest texts and say they're all the same. This is their world we see it's written down here, and they're so afraid of women and they just want to hide women behind the veil. I mean at the ma- moment you're wearing face masks, so we're all wearing the veil anyway but um before that, that was always the explanation and um, they make women wear the veil, and that's why they hate women and it is it is so detrimental to any kind of societal conversation because what we should do is we should all sit down at a round table and say, oh, what do we all want? How can we achieve a better world together? And it has been so instrumentalized and we believe it. And that is that is the awful thing about it. Um, it, has, uh, it has seeped into our societal subconscious, so we have to really tackle that, and we have to address that. And that doesn't mean that no Muslim person could ever rape bullshit, they're human beings as well.
1: But then, do you, think, do you think that anybody possesses the capacity to rape another person? <laughs> tell the truth
2: no <laughs> at the at the deepest level um um i don't i think it is actually not the first thing that human beings do and and um that is in the, there's been quite a lot of interesting research into that there was research that was done at a men's prison and, and a rapist who had been convicted for rape and they were asked about whether they um had uh sexual dysfunctions during the rape and four fifths of them had some kind of sexual dysfunction, um, like um, problems getting erection, coming too soon, uh, not coming at all. All these, which they didn't have when they had consensual sex. Um, and there haven't, haven't been much studies about that, but I find that very interesting. So um, we always think that um, it's it's a great thing for a man to rape a woman. Um, so so and, and they have to kind of. Um, force them not to do it but actually it's the other way around it's not the first thing you would do your body doesn't want to do it so what has to happen for people to do it anyway
1: you're saying that's what needs to be investigated
2: absolutely absolutely and there's also a lot of um um research into and that none that that sounds very murky when i say it, but um the research done on rapists um usually suggest that they don't do it because they want to go out and I want to feel feel good it suggests that they had um, experiences of absolute powerlessness in their life not um, towards the victim absolutely not but in their life so um, it does seem to um, it does seem to be connected to um, I don't know people who had trauma in some kind or other so you also have to address healing if you want these people not to keep being rapists and that's the other thing in our society. We don't want to talk about rapists we want them to disappear. So we either want them to die. If you if you watch um, cinema, if you want want to watch films about rapists um, nowadays, it used to be positive, I mean um, <laughs> even uh, all these scenes about Sean Connery in Marnie, um, that he rapes Marnie, or basically he forces her to marry him well, because he, um, he finds her um, uh, trying to To um, open his safe so he can force her to marry him, all this, which we would now uh, see is what this is rape. You can't do that. But at that time, that was just romanticism. Okay, so this has changed. But if you watch um, films nowadays, movies nowadays usually the rapists they they disappear they they die <laughs> we don't want to deal with that and we have to deal with that because um in germany we haven't got the death penalty so people will get out i mean we know that rapists are usually not convicted but even if they are convicted they will get out of jail so we have to make sure that they don't re-offend and how can we do that so we've got to address that to make society safer
1: Well, you said, you know, we want rapists to go away. I think that's true. But I'm also, I'm thinking, you know, the alternative is that we want them to be other. We want them to be someone other than ourselves. And going back to the question of of rape and, and our current president here in the States, I'm thinking about the moment he came down the escalator to announce his campaign and refer to all Mexicans who were coming across the border. Order to our country as as rapists as uh, it, somebody it has got quite
2: a lot of jail uh, of of court cases where people accuse him of right
1: well well but you know we know we we know from psychoanalysis that as humans we have a tendency to project the bad parts of ourselves onto others and you know are was that moment emblematic of a broader tendency to if we're going to acknowledge rape to. To see it as outside of our circle and to cast that onto onto other groups, namely um, non-white groups.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if you say rape, you you also say you're a monster. You are non-human, right? Um, Because in our society, I mean, murder, sure, but um, apart from that, um, only um, if you you eat babies, that's worse. Uh, I mean, really, if you want to, in in war propaganda, usually it goes along with saying they are rapists. And um, Germany after the Second World War, we said we will never ever participate. In military actions ever again. We won't do it. We have learned our lesson from fascism. We'll never do it again. So what made us do it? It was the rape of women in Yugoslavia. So that um our that time left-wing government said we have to <laughs> enter another war again. And that was shocking for me because I grew up as Germany as a pacifist country country. We will never ever participate in a war again. But the 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 raped women and and I, I don't want to condone rape absolutely not. But um, we are so easy to be uh, easily manipulated by saying these are rapists. So we have to whatever they get is justified. The other thing is um, because I, th- I genuinely think it is not good for us if we say rapists only the others. We can't talk about it. We can't talk about how can we change. It's also um, uh, I know that people who call helplines and say I'm afraid of becoming a rapist, they, they get shut down or they used to be uh, the, so I think th- things are moving but but um, this is we, we should say great you're coming to us that is wonderful you're addressing that that is good because now we can do something about it um, also um, looking at ourselves I mean it is a spectrum and um, and, and by law that certain things are absolutely they're, they're crimes but loads of transgressions we can only learn there's a border by crossing it so um, so if you don't if you, if you think, oh, only other people can transgress borders. We are always right. You can't look at that and learn from it. And that is very, very, very important. Everybody has transgressed some kind of borders. Uh, doesn't matter how nice we are as people, it doesn't mean we're all rapists. On the contrary. But but we, we have to learn from these transgressions.
1: Well, me too. This book is Really brave, um, really well researched. I I want our listeners to know. Um, There's so many things that you tackled that we didn't get to uh, address today. But anyone who is interested in rape as a topic, as a part of our history um, in feminism really needs to pick up the book. Before we go, because we're almost out of time. uh, What are you working on these days?
2: I've just finished a novel. I've just finished my, my, my debut novel. And it's called Identity from um, Identity Politics and Breasts. So it's um, it's about a blogger. It's about a, a young woman who's a POC, a young POC wo- woman. And she's, um, she's blogging about identity and sexual politics. And um, her professor is um, a POC. Um, she's a professor for for um, post-colonial studies, and then she's debunked as being white after all. So it's a kind of Rachel Dollars all story. But in, in Germany, it's a different... So, so race means something else in Germany. There are different rules that apply here. And so she her whole world crumbles when she finds out about that. And then she goes to a professor and confronts her, and, well, society, <laughs> the internet goes wild, and everybody <laughs> wants her to lose her job. And, and so this is... This is the topic of my book, and it's just um, basically it's just out of the printers. It will be out in Germany on the fifteenth of February, but I've, I've already seen the book.
1: It looks great. <laughs> well, that's exciting. I didn't catch the title. What's tell us the, the title, title is again?
2: Identity from like identity and and tits.
1: Ah, got it, got it, got it, got it. That's clever. Um, well, I hope that when it comes out, maybe you'll come back on the show and, and we'll get a chance to talk about it. I want to remind our listeners that I have been speaking to Me Too Zanyal, author of the book Rape from Lucretia to Me Too, to hashtag Me Too. Me Too, thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you so much for inviting
1: me.